As it rapidly approaches, this spectacular event impacts the very fabric of space and time. We call it the holidays. Fortunately, Sarah at the Container Store can help. Uh, hi. As time runs out, how do you manage? Well, we offer a huge selection of gift wrap, including our gift wrap three packs, now 50% off. You get three high-quality rolls of wrap for just $4.99. Plus, our stocking stuffers are up to 50% off, too. Sarah, savior of time and the holidays. Or just Sarah. The Container Store, where space comes from. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dark Docs Digest, Episode 8. I am your host, Christian Coffins, and we have our very first interview today with Emily Frost Schaefer, the daughter of B-movie actor Robert Dunham. Now, this is an interesting character. I'm, I'm looking here at a news post from Friday, April 15th, 1960, that reads, Like a spy novel, U.S. businessman tells police Zigrus was in red spy ring here. Mystery man John Allen Kusher Zagrus was linked to an international communist spy ring today by information given to Tokyo police by an American businessman, Robert Dunham, managing director of Pan Commercial Pacific Japan, LTD, told police inspectors he believes Mr. Zigrus and Daniel Salman, who was associated with Mr. Zigrus, in pushing phony checks to two American banks in testimony given to Tokyo district courts. The men involved in the spy ring allegedly sending yen and dollars in and out of the country. He gave police much detailed information about the espionage ring during a more than two-hour visit to Metropolitan Police Board. Mystery man Zigris, who claimed to be an agent for the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, American Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Arab League, and the Front de Liberation Internationale. But the story goes much deeper, as we will hear today from Miss Emily Frost. Hi. <laughs> well, um, first of all, I just wanted to say that uh, I go by a couple of different names. On Twitter, I'm Emily uh, Frost Schaefer, or Emmy Lee, actually. Uh, but on Facebook, I go by Emmy Frost. And I don't know if Kurt explained that to you, but uh, he might not even know. But, um, yeah, I've had my name changed by my father on a number of occasions. And so, uh, yeah, this is not even my real na- my, my birth name. <laughs> I legally changed my name in 1991 to Emiko Jade. Frost uh, when I was about 21 years old, um, 
And uh, my birth name was Deanne Dunham. Um, and I don't know, we can get into that later on about my relation to uh, Obama and Stanley Ann Dunham, his mother, through my dad. But anyway, um, yeah, I just wanted to clear that up. So I, I go by a couple different names on the Internet uh, just because I got shadow banned <laughs> and censored and banned off Facebook uh, and Twitter in the past. But, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at this article, which is stated um, that you were just talking about, on uh, Friday, April 15, 1960, but as I was going through my dad's scrapbook, I found another article, which I guess is some kind of follow-up article called Shattuck Linked with Red Spy Ring, you know, with a question mark in the Asahi Evening News, which is a, a Japanese-American newspaper, uh, or an American newspaper, I should say, in Tokyo, um, and that was dated Wednesday, May 11, 1960, and it's written by the same person that wrote the previous article, W.B. Swim, which I am assuming is an alias. Uh, my dad might have even written this because he actually um, was a journalist for the Asahi Evening News on top of everything else he did. Really? So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, we were going back and forth on Facebook with a bunch of different people. And I, you know, I'm not military. My dad was a U.S. Marine first lieutenant of the military police. Uh, and he joined the Marines uh, supposedly one day after the Korean War ended. And I think that was 1953. Now, I was married to a Marine or a former Marine who now works at the NSA. And that's what my previous show was about, uh, in addition to, you know, my father and his movie career and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of the military people that I spoke to, uh, you know, talking about things like my dad's weird tattoos he had, and he had a Black Panther tattoo on his right arm. It was like a leaping Black Panther. And then on the right. other arm, he had a skull with a snake coming out of its eye with a sword. And then later on, he got his, like, U.S. Marine Corps number or whatever it is uh, tattooed uh, under it. And there was talk about um, he might have been in the, I think it's called SAD. I uh, can't remember if it's Special Activities Division or, or something like that. If you're a military, you would know what that means, you know, whether it was like Special Forces or, or whatever they named it back, you know, back in the day. Because as you just read, you know, all these all these different uh, agencies were, were, you know, named something else like American Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Arab League, the Front Deliberation, Nacional, and then, you know, it talks about Algerian rebels and all this other crazy yeah, stuff yeah, in there. Yeah, interesting time period, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So stuff going on. But that really makes a lot of sense that he might have written that because the way it was written, like I mentioned, it, it felt like a kind of spy novel, and that's the kind of uh, press release style that a lot mm -hmm. of uh, COINTELPRO or different PSYOP mockingbird strategists uh, within the CIA at the time, uh, which you know, that was, I mean, this is like the Wormwood era, you know, the, uh, the Netflix series. Oh, yeah, series yeah. Going I, watched, right I watched Wormwood. <laughs> I watched that. Yeah. I was taking notes from that, from that, uh, yeah. on Netflix and stuff because I was like, wow, like, a lot of this is like similar to stuff like my, you know, either that my dad told me or, you know, I found out years later, you know, and stuff like that. Um, now, I don't know if you 
if you got a copy of the article um, where it talks about my father, I, I know I got it. It was partly cut off when I sent it to Kurt, but it says at the top, Wellesley, uh, Wellesley man besieged, student saves him, but car is smashed. And that's yep, from... I got that uh, yeah. Okay, that was he, he the saved AP. that one as, as Dunham false flag, and I was, that caught my eye. <laughs> yeah, because that's dated June 6th, and I think that's uh, 1960. Oh, actually, it was in the Boston Globe, Monday, June 6th, mm. 1960, because my dad was from Boston, and he was from an affluent area called Wellesley Hills. So, yeah, it says the social block in Parliament today formally approved its mass resignation in a pressure move aimed at ousting Prime Minister Nobusuke Kishi and washing out President Eisenhower's visit to Japan. And uh, then it's got a picture of my dad, and underneath it says predicts more attacks on Americans. Robert D. Dunham, Wellesley Hills, whose car was besieged by Japanese demonstrators. And then, you know, it's it's cut out, but there's another one from the Boston American that says Jap- Japanese mob attacks hub man because hub means like Boston back in the day. I guess that was some kind of, you know, term for Boston or something. So, yeah, it's just, it's just it's just so weird. And then I remember my dad saying that he actually got a call from President Eisenhower thanking him for telling him not to come to Japan because of my dad being attacked outside the parliament um and and it's like well why why was he there like why was he mm-hmm. just happened to be walking you know in what they call the diet section d i e t section of japan and you know there's um and then i don't know if if i mentioned that my dad oh yeah you know like the import export business he owned an yes. import export business called pan commercial limited you know whatever it was and he actually uh, it was under the guise that he was selling shoes, which is weird because there's a Dunham shoes, but I was always told we're not related to those people. And, uh, you know, there's other like things in the scrapbook that talk about, you know, him uh, with this shoe company and how they, you know, exported and imported things to like Germany and all, you know, like most of Europe and even back home um, to Boston and then also to Worcester, Massachusetts, which is where my grandparents are buried. And most of my great grandparents uh, were from that area of Massachusetts. And, you know, when you just go through the scrapbook, there's just like different names in there that, you know, seem familiar. One of them, I think, might have been somebody that I went to school with dad and he was from Worcester. And so when I, you know, sometimes I call my sister or I call, you know, I've called people in my family and asked them, you know, questions like who's this Leo Miller guy or who is, you know, this person that dad said he was friends with, but it's in the scrapbook and stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of, it's just really weird. And then the, the other thing I just noticed, I'm looking at the scrapbook, on the um the where it says Boston American, I guess it's some kind of newspaper they had back in Boston in nineteen sixty. On top of it is this very weird eagle. And my dad also owned a publishing company called Yuma Publishing, where he published three books and they're called Tokyo Unzipped, The Art of Being Japanese and Alice in Blunderland, which was a sort of like a comic strip making fun of like Japanese culture and stuff like that. Huh. And uh, it had the same sort of symbol 
on this Boston American newspaper of this weird eagle on his publishing company books. Like it's stamped, like it's it, it looks like it almost looks like that Wonder Woman symbol that she has like on her, you know, on her outfit or something. So and then years ago I spoke to somebody that claimed to be in special forces and they told me that Yuma, Arizona is where the special forces does a lot of training. Now, coincidentally, sure. yeah, I was out, out Yeah, so coincidentally, I was out in Yuma, Arizona in June of 2004, I believe, with my ex-husband who works at the NSA and it was about a year before he got hired there. He was a police officer outside of Boston. And we were there for two weeks, and he said he was interviewing for a job as a probation officer. And I was like, huh? Like, why would you, why would he be out here for like two weeks in Yuma in like 120 degree weather? And I'm just staying at, you know, days in with the kids, and he's off, you know, doing who knows what. And, and, uh, you know, I kept questioning, like, why, why are we out here for so long? I mean, if it's just a job interview, why, you know, why are we here for like so long? And he's like, oh, I got a second interview. And and then, you know, after we got back from that, it seemed like he just knew how to, like, hack stuff. And he spoofed my phone when I was getting a divorce. And I ended up going to prison. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so it's just it's just really, really weird. I mean, we can just speculate a lot of stuff about, you know, oh, was he a CIA spook? But then again, yeah. you know, my father was a race car driver for Brock Racing Jeez. Enterprises. What did he uh, do? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, what you know, like he did everything but brain surgery. I mean. <laughs> right, yeah. And so he raced on the Suzuka circuit, and, like, he he was pretty well known as a race car driver in, like, you know, late 50s, early 60s. And then he raced in Del Mar, Riverside, and Baja, California, and he actually won, like, first place over Pete Brock, who owned Brock Racing Enterprises. And there's and – and I have to, you know, clarify that there's two Peter Brocks or Pete Brocks. There's a Peter Brock who was a race car driver in Australia who died um, racing a Shelby Daytona Cobra Coup, which was designed by the other Pete Brock for AC Motors. And Pete Brock used to work with my dad at Hino, uh, which is a car company that was supposed to come to the U.S., but then they got bought out by Toyota or something like that. So my dad was racing their Hino Contessa 1300 GT, uh, or maybe it was the 900 GT, and then the Hino Contessa 1300 or something like that. And then he became a stuntman, um, and I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but I know my dad mentioned, you know, back in the day, uh, Steve McQueen had that bullet movie and all those like chase scenes and the J- Japanese wanted, you know, a movie with some, you know, somebody that could do those kinds of stunts. So my dad, uh, starred in a movie called the little adventurer with British child actor, Mark Lester. And Mark Lester is actually the godfather of all of Michael Jackson's kids but he can't see them now after Michael died. And now he also claims that he's Paris Jackson's real biological father. And uh, it's just, it's just insane. (laughs) And then after all that, then my dad started getting into, you know, acting and stuff because he acted in the little adventure as well as doing all the stunts for it. Like he got lit on fire and he did um, like, he, he jumped a car off of something and, you know, and I asked my dad years ago, like, 
like how'd you know how to do all this stuff and like he, he I never really got like a straight answer so you know it, it was just it's just very 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 weird um yeah and then after yeah. he retired like 1975 we moved to uh Cape Cod Massachusetts where I grew up and I was about it was like a few months before my 6th birthday so um I went from like Tokyo and then initially we went to LAX to Los Angeles and then stayed with some people in Anaheim and then we were in Phoenix and Tucson for Arizona for a while and then we later went to JFK uh in New York I think it was and then we I met my aunt Pat and her family which is my dad's sister and you know all my cousins and stuff cuz I never met them before and then from there, we somehow got a car because my grandfather used to own a Pontiac dealership as well as some kind of boat marina or something. He sold boats and, and cars. So somehow my dad got a Pontiac and and uh, we drove it to Cape Cod. And then from there on, you know, stuff started to get even stranger. Um, and, you know, I found out I have a older brother that I never knew about. My dad was married like multiple times. My mom was his third wife. So uh, my aunt Pat once said she never really knew how many times my dad was married because he had tons of affairs. We found out he's got other children with other women. And, you know, recently, well, within like the last five or six years, I found out that this woman was one of my father's longtime secret girlfriends or something and my aunt pat told me and um is this was like a family friend who my dad knew in japan but i didn't even know that until recently and she was a japanese woman that lived on cape cod and she married this very wealthy jewish lawyer last name dranitz and you know they had two kids and then i always wondered like if her two kids were actually my brothers because they didn't look anything like the dad and so you know it's just very strange and then when my dad you know had passed away uh i found out that there was a bunch of life insurance policies um and one of the the women that uh, got one of his life insurance policies was this woman that i knew years ago as a child and her and now she's married to actor George Siegel. Her name's Sonia Greenbaum. And then she had a daughter named Samantha who used to like live in one of the houses my parents owned. And um my dad's last movie was called Samantha, which is really weird. And it was never released and uh it was shown at the Sarasota Film Festival, which I have uh like a newspaper article from the Sarasota something newspaper. <laughs> and so it, it, it's just, you know, it's just very bizarre. And then when my dad passed away, um, nobody told us about it. And then I happened to see his obituary in the, in my local newspaper up on in Cape Cod. And uh, it had my original birth name on there. And then all it said was that he was a harbor master. It didn't say anything about his movies or his military experience or anything. And then I don't know if you saw the one picture where there's a photo of him where it says foreign department. And, you know, there's all this stuff written in Japanese and I I can't read Japanese anymore. So I don't, I don't know what, you know, what all this, you know, means. Um, right. But yeah, it, it, it's just really weird. And as far as his DD-214, 
um, when I got that when he passed, uh, it said that he was only in the Marines for two years. Now, my ex-husband was in Desert Storm. Uh, he was in the Marines from 1987 to 1991, and even he thought that the DD-214 looked weird. And then he was like, wow, he joined the Marines like the day after the Korean War ended. And he was considered a Korean War era veteran. Like when I buried him in the National Cemetery, it says Korean War era veteran and, you know, has like first lieutenant and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, um, it, it, it's just it's weird. Two years. It's interesting to have a headstone like that. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, um, was recently uh, I met somebody who's like a family member of somebody I know and they're, you know, sort of like classified Air Force or Navy or something. Uh, I, I, I get some of those mixed up because I think he's some kind of fighter pilot or something. And we're not supposed to know what he does and all that kind of thing. And I was talking to him about my dad's military stuff. And I said, well, why do you think he would be in only for two years? And he said, well, you know, sometimes... Uh, when the CIA or any of those, you know, agencies are recruiting, they'll just pick them up like during the middle of their uh, military career, and then they just stop. Sort of like they're not in the, they're still in the military, but they're not. But it's, I don't know, like it's not um, on paper anywhere, you know, if you know what right. I mean. Right. So I, I thought that was like kind of interesting um, because one also, day I. Away. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw. I see. He passed away August six oh one. I mean, he died a, a month before nine eleven happened. This is kind of odd as well, given his um, his relationship with U.S. intelligence and things like that. Do you, do you think he had any sort of? I mean, do you have any any reason to believe he, you know, in one way or another, had any knowledge uh, around that Bush administration or Project for a New American Century or any of that kind of era stuff? Well, this is really weird. Um, Okay, the death date of my dad, we don't know if that's the real death date. That's the death date the coroner gave him. Now, Uh, his his birthday was July 6, 1931. Now, his death date is August 6, 2001. Now, he was 70 years old when he passed. Now, after I found out he passed, um, I had contacted, uh, I think it was the sheriff's department down in Sarasota, and the detective that I spoke to was named Detective Legg, like L-E-G-G, and I had asked him, you know, if he could send me a copy of the police report, and my dad was working at Wackenhut at the time, Wackenhut Security, oh, but we don't yeah, know, we don't know what them. he was doing. And so um, what I yeah, found out was I... they were uh, still doing airport security. This was before TSA and everything. My mom actually worked for Globe Airport Security, so Wackenhut was kind of their uh, competition at, at Miami International Airport back when we were down there. So, um, But, yeah, they were involved in, in all of those uh, airport screening uh, terminals. They were almost half of what was at Miami International anyway that, that I know of. Well... I think my dad was murdered. Yeah. I think he was murdered, and he was, you know, what they say, like a cannon fodder. And the the only reason why I say this is because I know somebody whose father was in the NSA, like top security clearance, some kind of, like, secret 
something program, and he passed away on um, March of 2006, I believe it was, and he died in the same manner as my dad. What His body wasn't found for a week, and that's why my dad's death date is weird because they said that he had been dead a week, and nobody, like, checked on him and nobody – you know, knew he was dead, but yet he worked at Wackenhut. So when I called Wackenhut, all they said to me was uh, he worked with a young guy, and the young guy was getting worried because my dad didn't show up at Wackenhut, so he drove to his house. Now, my dad supposedly, I'd never been to my dad's house down in Sarasota. Supposedly, uh, he lived in a gated community, and it was like, 2925 Captiva Way, Sarasota, or something. I don't know if the numbers are right, but it was 29-something-something Captiva Way, Sarasota. And from what I understood, it was some kind of gated community. I know he had, like, a boat. I don't know if it was on the water. But what they told me was that the guy went to his uh, house to check on him because he didn't show up for work for a week. And then he noticed the garage door was open. The car was there. He had some shitbox car. Uh, the the uh, newspaper was piled up. The mail was piled up. And the sliding glass door or something was, like, unlocked. So then when he opened it, he noticed the smell. And then, of course, you know, he immediately called uh, for, you know, 911 or whatever. And then when I spoke to the detective, uh, he said somebody had shut the AC off. And he said that um, the house looked like it was ransacked. It was like, you know, all these papers everywhere and that he had to, like, dig through uh, some kind of Rolodex uh, to find my aunt's phone number to call her to, you know, let her know that he passed away. And then he had said that there was, like, a bottle of vodka and, like, a cup of soup, like, on the uh, dining room table, and it looked like – you know, my dad was like about to make lunch or something, or, or was sure. waiting, you know, about to eat lunch. And then he went, and then with the way they found him, uh, he, they said that he was in the bathroom and they found him dead in the bathroom, like, uh, you know, like he had been on the toilet and he fell. And that is, uh, he was not wearing a shirt and he had like his boxer shorts and a pair of shorts at his ankles and that he was covered in feces. Now, oh, wow. you know, that later they said, oh, well, he died a massive stroke. Well, the other thing that's weird is, okay, my dad graduated from Williams College, which is not an Ivy League school, but it's a very expensive school. And my dad went there and graduated, I think, like 1951 or 52, like right before the Marines, uh, before he joined the Marines. So when he graduated from college, my grandparents bought him a Rolex watch. and I had looked up the the value of that particular watch when he died, and it was worth $53,000. Well, he didn't have the watch on him, I guess. And so, uh, and the other weird thing is he had a prepaid cremation. So when I, you know, found out that he was cremated already, his uh, cremated ashes had been, like, sitting at some funeral home for, like, a couple of months because I didn't find out until after September 11th that he died. And so when I contacted him, I said, well, the, the I mean, the funeral home, I said, oh, like, didn't he have a Rolex watch? And initially they said yes. And I said, okay, uh-huh. well, just mail me, you know, mail me his ashes and, 
you know, mail me, you know, whatever personal effects he had. Well, when I got the ashes, which I had to pay $200 for, they sent this box, and in it was a broken plastic Casio watch that looked like, you know, something you buy at, like, Walmart. And my dad would have never worn something like that. Yeah, they, and so I called I called them back. I was like, where's this Rolex watch? And they said, what Rolex? So, you know, it was it was very weird. Are we going on a break now? Uh, yeah, I, that, that's it for These episodes are only half an hour, and we've only just begun. Oh, I want to okay, thank you okay. so much for coming on. Let's do it again um, if you're free this week or this weekend. I have so yeah, many more questions sure. to ask you. And, I know, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're, we're limited to, uh, to to half an hour on these. I might actually want to have you on uh, Dark Doc on the Facebook Live, because um, then we can just go for hours. So, so uh, I'm going to be in touch with you by email uh, to, to pick it up, oh, and sure. maybe we can just uh, chat it up sometime this week. Well, uh, again, yeah, thank that you would so be much great. for coming on. Uh, I'm going to go to play us out with the music and, and, and the ads to the station. So uh, it's been a pleasure, and, yeah, I'm going to be emailing you this week, okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. That was a pleasure. Music and much more for free. No advertisement. No sign up. No terms of use. No censorship. No control. This is information warfare. This, this is, is the end of the transmission. Share the joy and seize the savings. Shop mattresses at Nebraska Furniture Mart. Right now, shop with employee family pricing. Get the savings normally reserved for close family of employees. Twin mattresses start at $49. Full mattresses at $99. Queen mattresses at $129. And take advantage of long-term mattress financing. Share the joy. Shop employee family mattress pricing at Nebraska Furniture Mart. Some exclusions apply. See nfm.com for details. As it rapidly approaches, this spectacular event impacts the very fabric of space and time. We call it the holidays. Fortunately, Sarah at the Container Store can help. Uh, hi. As time runs out, how do you manage? Well, we offer a huge selection of gift wrap, including our gift wrap three packs, now 50% off. You get three high-quality rolls of wrap for just $4.99. Plus, our stocking stuffers are up to 50% off, too. Sarah, savior of time and the holidays. Or just Sarah. The Container Store, where space comes from.